Welcome to The Sober Effect, a show that looks at the positives of sobriety, the dangers of alcohol, and the many people who are affected by it. I'm Kate. And I'm Steph. The ripple effect of alcohol is far-reaching, and those are the stories you'll hear on The Sober Effect. Hey, Kate. Steph, hello. It is a new year. It's dry January. Well, it is just January. But for us, it's a dry January. I love this time of year. It is like clean slate and I get new diaries. I clean the house. I get rid of the tree. It's just my favorite, favorite time of year. And it's so gloomy out there that I need to keep busy. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. I'm the same. I love routine, but I also love switching up my routine. And there's no better time than the first of the year to like sit down and figure out what was working, what wasn't working, and add some new things into my routine to be excited about. It's just... How how many of them will still be there in uh, December, do you think? Um, I think I'm going to be doing more of adding in than removing, to be honest. Really? Um, Yeah. like Things like uh, I've been adding in listening to music in the morning when I get up. Like first thing, I've found some like high vibe morning music to wake me up and put me in a good mood and set the mood for the day. You know, I try to not check my phone right away because that can really set the mood. I've been doing morning stretches for the last few months and that'll continue. And it's just, I don't know, adding the music to that. It's just, you know, you don't have to do everything all at once. I think that's what I've learned. You know, you you have like all these things, like all the gurus tell you to do, and then you try to do it all at once, and then you think you fail. And that's one thing I've learned in sobriety is like, I just, I have the rest of my life to figure this out. So I just slowly layer things on. Yeah. Do you have anything for the new year that you're working well, I'm on? I'm feeling massively inadequate now after oh, your list of things. Um, I was just sort of like clean the larder, you know, um, eat But that better. stuff's good too, yeah. right? Like <laughs> if know. our environment's cluttered, I feel like then your yeah. mind's cluttered. Oh, my environment is never cluttered, Steph. I literally hate knickknacks. Mm. If people don't wear something for a few months, it's gone. I'm constantly tidying and moving things away and organizing because I hate clutter. I just can't stand it. And my desk is immaculate. I've got these lovely pots of different colored pens and I've got really lovely, bright visuals, you know, and I do that because my mind is very confusing. It races. I do things quickly. And that's why I got into trouble with alcohol, I think, because I drank very quickly. If my kind of room is in order and my life is in order visually, I don't get stressed about the fact that my mind isn't. I allow it to go off in tangents. So I'm very, very tidy. Um, I used to be obsessive about it. I used to have like finger spacing between my hangers and they were all color coordinated. And I could see if someone had come in and borrowed something because I like I would never have left it like that. And my sisters were kind of like, you're such a weirdo. How do you know I was in your room? (laughs) I put everything back. I'm like, you didn't put it quite back, you know. So yeah, I'm I just love a new year, you know, it always feels exciting and By the end of the year, even if you've forgotten what you wanted to happen at the beginning, things have always changed. And sometimes it's not always things like possessions or new children or I've moved country, but it's mindset. It's not things you can see. But I know I've changed a lot in the last year. Mm -hmm. You must feel that way as well. I do. And it's it can be, like you said, mindset, but it also could be like your physical health. 
which kind of leads into what our topic is today. I love that this episode's coming out at this point of the year because as we're, you know, cleaning out our houses or creating new healthy habits and things, we have to remember our physical health is important as well, right? And that's the topic of today. Let's start with this question, Kate. When you would go to your doctor as a drinker, okay, we're going back a couple of years, drinking Kate goes to the doctor. She's filling out that health form and it's that question of how many units of alcohol are you drinking per week? How did drinking Kate answer that question? You know, I really don't understand units is the absolute honest truth. I never got it and I still couldn't tell you. And then there would be these pictures of bottles of wine. So I would times it and say I drink about four bottles a week and it was about eight. So I would halve it. Did you do that as well? You know what I did? I didn't even give them a number. Did you not? You just said I don't or you said I'm not telling you. (laughs) There was one time and it stuck with me. There was one time there was a form and it was more of like a multiple choice. So it wasn't like units. It was like, are you a social drinker, daily drinker? Yep. Blah, 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 blah. Right. I can't remember the rest because I was like, ooh, social drinker. That's that's me. So then moving forward, that is what I would put. I just drink socially. But you count socially and you've told me this if you picked up the phone and called your brother. Yeah. Yeah. But you see that? Yeah. (laughs) There's your red flag, Steph. But then the doctor in their mind, they have a definition of what a social drinker is, which is completely different than my definition. And then we have a hot mess on our hands. And then you really do. That's kind of what we're talking about today, isn't it? It's about... Mm -hmm the dangers of lying about how much you're drinking. Yes. And I'm more interested in how we lie to ourselves because I have opened a bottle of wine at five o'clock. I have drunk nearly all of it and thought, oh, my husband's going to get back from work at quarter to seven. It's nearly gone. And I'll quickly pour the rest of the glass out, open a new bottle, pour some of that out. I've even hid in the glass because I can't actually down that at the moment. And then I've made it look like I've poured myself one glass of wine and I've hidden the bottle. I've gone outside and thrown it away. That is really interesting to me that I was doing that and I still wasn't thinking you need to stop drinking. I mean, obviously every morning I would think I wish I didn't do that. What's wrong with me? But I didn't think, come on, Kate, pull yourself together. Look what you're doing. Because that's bad, isn't it? I mean, that's a proper drinking problem if you're doing that. I only did it once or twice in my life. But I did it. I feel like it's a form of protecting the alcohol too. Like we don't want to ever give someone permission to tell us that we should stop drinking. Like I know that that was always a fear of mine. Like I don't want to tell the doctor, like I don't need a doctor to tell me how much I should drink, especially even when you talk in the past about like drinking was like becoming an adult to you. And so like you feel like I'm an adult, like this is an adult decision. Like I get to decide. And we all do. We have free will. We get to decide. The problem is we're not like understanding how bad it really is. And we're hiding from it. And alcohol loves to just fuel that. So like every time we drink, we're like, it's fine. I'm not that bad. We'll find someone who drinks worse than us to compare to, to make us feel, at least that's what I used to do. I knew plenty of people who drank a lot more than me. So it was like, I'm not that bad. At least I'm not like so-and-so. And it's just yeah. all these little things we do to protect the addiction. You know? It's a really good way to put it. And I'd not thought of it that way, but you're so right. And that whole people drink more than me. It's like, mm-hmm. so what? They're right. probably got liver damage. 
I wrote an article recently about women and alcohol. It made me really think because I looked back in history at how women had been treated. And actually, tens of thousands of years ago, women were master brewers. I didn't know this, but they were in charge of brewing the beer. But then in something like 17 BC, don't quote me on that because it's definitely wrong, a law got written and they basically said women are no longer allowed to brew beer and they're not even allowed to drink it because they were paid in beer as well, these master brewers. They're not allowed to drink it. They're not allowed to go anywhere where people drink it or they'll be put to death. And that was it. And 3,000 years later, women were still being banned from bars. Now, when you think about that, secret drinking is in our DNA. We've been doing it for 3,000 years. And that's a really dangerous thing because when you drink in private, it's harder to monitor what you're drinking. And when no one else can see it, you drink more because no one's there to kind of judge you or look at you. And you, you don't feel like, well, if no one knows, no one knows. But then you have this horrible thing going on in your head with shame and guilt and the the actual physical lie or moving a bottle and hiding it that really hits you hard mm-hmm. because you're doing something you're deceiving other people mm-hmm. and you're lying about a habit it makes you feel dirty and horrible and i think writing this article really made me think about women and our relationship with alcohol because i know the whole ladette culture when i came to a point in my life where i was allowed to just go out and drink i was like i'm a woman in a man's world and i loved it and i was out there and it was because we'd been held back for so long there was this kind of magic vibe about being a woman who was out there drinking eight pints in an evening but it's so dangerous isn't it you know i can't relate to the secretive drinking because i never really did that other than And it wasn't even really a secret. I don't think I would have ever hid it from anyone. I just, nobody really asked. I mean, there were times when I would take a drink with me to go pick my daughter up from school because of my anxiety. But what I did back to like comparing my drinking to other people is like, I surrounded myself with people who drank just like me or more than me so that I didn't have to hide it. So it did feel normal to me so that it made it okay in my mind. And Our guest today, Azure, is a nurse, and this kind of leads into what I'm talking about. I drank with a lot of nurses, and my thought was, if they're drinking that much, it must not be that bad. They're nurses. They've been educated. They know better. So it's obviously not that bad because they're drinking just as much as me. It's so rooted in society. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It will take over. It will take over, especially if you're using it like I was for mental health or you become physically addicted to it, you will protect it. You will lie. You will do whatever you can to keep that because in your mind, it is your savior. It is the only thing that gets you through. And it's a de- like you're in desperation. I completely agree with you. And it, it eats you from the inside out, doesn't mm-hmm. it? And of course, we're going to lie. We're going to lie if we have a problem with it. We're not going to lie if we don't, you know, and I was out with two friends. We went out yesterday, we went off for a hot chocolate and there were three women and we were chatting about alcohol and we were talking about this and going into the doctors. And one of my friends said, you know, I probably drink a bottle a week and I drink that in three different settings. So I'll have a glass and a half three times a week. And the doctor just said, really? It's just so strange how alcohol is seen because almost the doctor was like making a joke of the fact that, oh, come on, everyone drinks more than that. 
But what a weird thing to joke about. This is poisonous, this stuff. It causes cancer. We know that. It's responsible for the death of 3 million people a year. But it's still somehow, well, they should be saying, well, well done. you know. And she was being honest because no one who's lying would would dare to suggest they only had a bottle because that's really ridiculous. They know you're going to be lying. But that is what some people drink, you know, who don't have a problem, who can moderate their drinking and have always been able to. But yeah, I think this conversation is really important because in order to move forward and move away from alcohol, you have to be honest about your relationship with alcohol, what it's like now, what it really has been like, the truth of what you were doing and how it made you feel. Because if you keep putting it on a pedestal and keep saying, alcohol's amazing, it's like the adverts, I sit there with friends and I laugh and I drink in front of a fire and it's all amazing, you're never going to be able to escape it because you've made it into this incredible thing that doesn't exist. And you're chasing that feeling you have when you have your first sip. You never get that back, by the way. Drinking another glass does not make that amazing first glass feeling feel twice as good. It gets worse and worse. And most people can't stop. Most people who will be listening to this can't stop after a glass. And there lies the problem. That's the lie. It's the, yeah, it's going to get better the more you drink. That's the lie that your brain is telling you because it just is, it's addicted and it wants more. Yeah. And that's why like people like us, when we talk, I mean, not to go off topic, but like with moderation, you know, a lot of doctors that will be their suggestion. We'll just moderate your drinking. And you have to be upfront then too. Well, I've tried, you know, most of us have. I've tried. It doesn't work. They want to help you. I mean, they really do. And I think we all just are so scared that we're going to get told off. And I'll, I'll tell you what, and if they do that, walk out. There's plenty of yeah. doctors. I have an amazing GP. And ever since I've been honest with her, we've discovered so many things to help my health, my physical health and my mental health. Now that she has the full story, there's so many dots that are being connected now that lead back to my heavy drinking that I can now like take care of my body properly. Like she, if she, she had no idea before. And as soon as I was honest with her, she's like, okay, this is what we need to do. I'm so glad you told me like, this is how we need to move forward. This is how we need to adjust medication, things like that. So it's empowering and it's taking your power back and it's taking control of the situation. Because when you are giving the control to alcohol, look what it's doing. It's turning you into someone you don't want to be. You're a liar, you're sneaking or, you know, all of those things that you even listed. Yeah. I mean, how can you treat someone when they're not being honest about what's going into their body? It's impossible. They can't treat you. So there's no point in even going if you're going to lie, you know, and that's what, this conversation is about being honest with yourself. Because if you can't be honest because you're worried that people will judge you, that's just a clear indication that things have got out of hand. Should we meet our guest and let her put this in a much more eloquent way than us? Yeah. And I mean, she's a nurse. She does talk about, you know, her experiences, but she's also sober. So I love getting that perspective. So let's hear from Azure. Um, in our experience, lots of people lie about how much they drink when they go to the doctor. Is this something that you've noticed? You know, so my background in nursing is not necessarily in like an office setting. Like, you know, if you go to your GP for a wellness checkup and, you know, that's where they really hone in on the questionnaire of, you know, how much do you drink and all of that. So my experience is outside of that setting. I've been a nurse in the hospital for years, but, you know, I definitely see it every day. You know, I see it with patients and and I actually work in the intensive care unit. So when I see patients, they're really, really sick. And if I see patients who have issues with alcohol, which I see a lot, it's because it's really, really bad. 
So my experience can be a little bit one-sided because, you know, I do see the extent of it, but just from knowing personally and then family and friends, you know, who have even said, oh yeah, I'm not always the most honest with my doctor or, oh, I should, you know, bring this up. And then, you know, I try to have a conversation with them about how important it is. But yeah, I definitely do see it, especially in the um, hospital setting. And, and that's when it can be really, really dangerous. You know, we have patients who will come in and tell us that they drink occasionally, but they don't really ever expand on that. And so then we'll start to treat them. And then two days will pass by. And then all of a sudden they are starting to go through withdrawals and they don't know what they are like because they've never experienced withdrawals before. Maybe, you know, maybe they've been drinking for 30 years of their lives and they've never stopped for two days. And so all of a sudden, you know, this patient who was here for chest pain is now going through full-fledged alcohol withdrawals, which can be very dangerous. They're life-threatening. What does that look like? Um, it looks different for everybody. So some people, you know, it can be pretty mild. It can just be like some nausea, headache, you know, some shakiness and stuff like that. But full-fledged withdrawals, the worst of it can be what's called delirium tremens, which is where you have hallucinations. You start to go into active seizures sometimes in a lot of people. But, you know, it starts with shaking, disorientation, headache, sweating, nausea. You can't do simple math. And then, yeah, if it's really bad, full-fledged seizures and people need to be intubated and put on life support sometimes. So it can be really bad. So, you know, if you're just expecting a normal hospital visit and then all of a sudden you haven't told us to prepare, hey, you know, I actually do drink quite heavily, then we can at least prepare for that, right? We can start you on certain medications, certain vitamins. We can give you... Um, benzodiazepines to help kind of counteract the alcohol withdrawal and keep you at a, you know, at a safe level so that we don't get to that point. So do people tend to open up and admit it eventually then? I mean, I guess they have to, because I mean, presumably you can't tell someone it's obvious you drink, we can see you drink. I mean, that must be a really difficult situation if someone's going, oh no, I only have a glass of wine every now and then. And you're like, you're clearly an alcoholic. You're clearly Mm -hmm. going through withdrawal. I don't, how would you deal with a situation like that? Yeah. You know, I think it's different for everybody. I've certainly seen some people say, oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't realize how bad the situation was or, you know, oh, I didn't realize that I drank that much to have that problem, which I hear all the time. But then some people still, even if we have, you know, some patients who come in week after week in alcohol withdrawal, but they still don't want to seek help because they don't think that they have a problem. And then you have, you know, the extremists who say that, oh, it's it's because I'm here. It's what you're doing to me. So we see all sorts of things. Um, but certainly some people do become a little bit more enlightened at that point. And they're like, oh, wow, this is actually an issue. Reach out for help or they don't. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a wide spectrum. I think just right. the awareness around how much you're drinking and whether that's too much or not is where we fail because oh absolutely I I went years I never thought that I was drinking too much I never did and honestly when I quit drinking this was not in my intention at all because I wasn't someone when I quit drinking who thought I was physically addicted to alcohol to where I was going to have withdrawals but I do have wonder if I would have the way I quit drinking I just moderated to like one small glass of wine a day for the month of December, because I had this little advent calendar that was like daily wine. And then I quit after that. So I have no idea. So it's like, where do you gauge? Society is just all about drinking and binge drinking. And like, so people just think it's normal. So you think some people are just extremely surprised that like the amount they're consuming has taken them to this point? Well, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of people don't even realize, and I didn't know this until I really started diving into alcohol and, you know, the dangers of it and what it can do and what withdrawal looks like. Cause I was just from seeing what I have seen in my, in my career, 
I was terrified of going through withdrawals when I quit, but I didn't think I, cause I just like you, I didn't think I was that bad. I really, really didn't. But I was like, but you never know. Cause I see people all the time come in, they, they've gone three days and all of a sudden they have seizures. I was terrified that it was going to happen to me. Um, and so I started listening to podcasts and stuff. One of them, I had remembered her saying that you don't know that you're going to recross that line of physiological dependence, meaning you're going to go through active withdrawals. Your body can no longer sustain, you know, unless you're drinking, you don't have any warning that that's going to happen. It literally just happens. And then once you try to stop, you physically can't unless you have, you know, medical intervention and stuff. So um, I just thought that was really interesting because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, once you get to drinking XYZ amount, that's when you're going to have problems, but that's not the case. It's different for everybody. And you have absolutely no warning. So that that's really scary. And do you think you could drink one glass of wine a night and get to the point where you feel like I have to have that glass every night? And that therefore is a problem. I mean, if there is no limit, and this is a question I'm asked all the time, how much is too much? And my answer is if you drink a glass of wine a month and it makes you feel crap or you end up acting stupid, then that's too much because there isn't an answer. There is no amount. And that's the scary thing about this is you can't give people an amount, which means in their head, they can keep pushing the amount up as they drink more and more. I'd like to preface this. I am not a doctor, but of course I do see this and I've done an extensive amount of research. But um, yeah, I think that, you know, the moderate, what the CDC and, and all that determines as moderate drinking. But what the caveat is there is that, you know, there's a very specific definition of a drink. So a glass of wine is five ounces. Like, who do you know who pours a five ounce glass of wine? Right. Nobody. That's like, you get that at the at the restaurant and you're like, are you kidding me? Or it's a 12 ounce beer that's 5% or less, you know? And then in today's world, so all those craft beers, you know, they have nine, 10%. So that's two drinks right there. So if you're drinking three of those a night, you're already over your limit. One drink is one shot of alcohol, like vodka, whiskey, all of those things. So our perception of what a drink is, is, is widely inaccurate. Um, and then, you know, of course there's daily limits too, for when you qualify as binge drinking. I don't, I don't know all of those numbers, but yeah, for a weekly limit, moderate to heavy drinking is five to seven drinks uh, for women. And that's just what they recommend. But now they're starting to do a lot of research that's saying that maybe there isn't actually a safe amount of alcohol because they're noticing, you know, Hey, it actually affects a lot more things. You know, it's, it has effects on your heart and your liver, of course, and your kidneys and your brain. And so it's best to just abstain. So back to your question, Kate, as far as what is the exact number, I don't think there is an answer either because everyone is different. It affects everybody differently. I don't think that you can get to the point where you have one glass of wine a night and then you're going to develop a physiological dependence, emotional and mental. Sure. You know, it's, and that's a hard hump to get over too. saying, I have to have this glass of wine. That's how I wind down at night. It becomes a habit and it becomes something that you do over and over and over again. And that's really hard to break. Will you get a physiological dependence from that amount? I don't think so. But over time, you know, that glass of wine may turn into you wanting another one because you don't feel the same effects. You don't feel the buzz. So then you have two. And then over time, that two, mm, I'm not feeling that either, turns into three. And then that's where the cycle, you know, starts to really, really spiral. So in my experience, what I see with patients who, you know, are going through physiological dependence, it's extreme amounts of alcohol. We're talking bottles of wine, you know, half bottles of alcohol, several cases of beer daily, but you know, they didn't get there overnight. So what about the, like the mental health side of it too? Because that was my problem was anxiety. And that's, mm -hmm. I basically used alcohol to treat my anxiety, even though I was medicated at one time for anxiety. But the problem was when I went in for the appointment, I did not share how much I was drinking. 
And so this medication, if the doctor knew how much I was drinking, I'm sure the medication would not have been prescribed to me until I was able. Mm -hmm. So there's a responsibility on both ends. There really is. But I also feel like I was not informed either about the effects alcohol had. And I think it's because they didn't think it was an issue. So I just want to know like your standpoint on this. Should we, even if someone claims to not be a heavy drinker, Should there still be a conversation just in case, like a safety net to plant a seed in someone's head? I mean, where do you stand with that? Because I do feel like that's very important, especially for the mental health side, because medication never worked for me because I was drinking while I was taking the medication, like taking an antidepressant and drinking a depressant. It doesn't work. Right. And can actually be really dangerous, too. I actually Mm -hmm. had a point of that, you know. Because anxiety is such a common complaint when people go into their hot into their GPs, especially these days, especially among women, you know, and then we fib about our alcohol intake. And just like you said, stuff. So they're like, okay, you know, hopefully they would recommend some other things before starting medication. But, you know, they go to prescribing anti-anxiety medications, which if you're drinking a lot of, of alcohol and taking anti-anxiety medications, that they're yeah, like you said, they're both depressants. And that can be very dangerous. It can actually be fatal if your alcohol issue is bad enough. So it is a huge concern. And I do think that it would do everyone a service to, you know, just say, you know, hey, just just in case, here's some resources if you're interested in, in looking at alcohol differently or, you know, wanting to reevaluate your relationship. But I just don't think that we're there with figuring out how to have that conversation. You know, we're not comfortable with how to even start that conversation or taking the time. That's a yeah. huge thing especially here in America. I don't know how yeah. this for you, Kate, but you see your doctor yeah. for 10, 15 minutes and then- it's 15 like, minutes? That would be amazing. Oh. We we get five or 10. They are busy and, and I think GPs are exhausted. But in a way, that's even more reason to have printed materials because you don't want to make a mistake. And if they know people are lying, but I don't get why people lie and I'm one of them. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying, why do you lot lie? Because I never would. I mean, I Thanks. did. The GPs, presumably, if someone came into you and said, God, I'm drinking two bottles of wine a night, you're not going to go, oh, my gosh, I'm going to call up the social services. Healthcare professionals, that all they want to do is help, right? They want to help you heal and they want to help you be your healthiest. So I think there's just such an overwhelming stigma to addiction and mental health issues and all of the things. And especially when they go hand in hand, you know, if you go to your Mm -hmm. doctor and you say, I have major anxiety and I drink all the time, that's a very vulnerable place to be in. And people just don't like, they're just not comfortable being in those places. You know, I don't know if there's enough support and there's, it's not talked about enough in our society for the majority of people to really feel comfortable having that conversation. But if you think about it, it's pointless if not, because unless you're honest, the results are going to be completely wrong. So it's a pointless exercise and it can be dangerous. So I think it's a, it's a really important point to make in this episode that honesty, and if you are drinking a lot and you are worried about going to your GP, please don't be go in and talk. That's exactly what they're there for. Nurses and GPs are not going to judge you. They're going to want to help, but they can only do that. And as you said, Steph, it's incredibly dangerous if they're starting to prescribe you medication based on the information you've given and it's wrong. And I wanted to point on that too, because I had, you know, I did a little bit of thinking yesterday when I was preparing for this podcast, but you know, there, cause there's, there's a lot of other things too, that people can have that you don't realize alcohol can be related to. And so if your doctor doesn't know that you're drinking, they don't know to say, oh, this is a piece of the puzzle that we should be working on, right? It's not just liver issues that we're talking about that are affected by alcohol. Alcohol can affect your heart. Like I already said, it can cause heart disease. It can cause high blood pressure. 
And truly, like you can have no other issues that if all of a sudden you have high blood pressure and you're drinking all the time, it's the alcohol. Mm -hmm. I, I can tell that from a personal experience of someone in my family. The second they stop drinking, their blood pressure is completely normal. It can worsen diabetes. It can be the reason that you have migraines. It's a huge reason that you have sleep issues. So if you're going in with insomnia or, you know, other issues down the road that are, you know, that are because of your insomnia, it can be related to alcohol. So, you know, if they don't have that piece of the puzzle and they don't know how to treat you, they can't get to the bottom line. If you're there to try to get better anyways, yeah. we need to, you know, we need to be honest. We need to know these things. And then just like you said, Kate, because there's so many medications that if they're taken with alcohol to an extent, they can be very dangerous. In your schooling. How much are they educating about alcohol as far as, I mean, you you just said quite a few things that alcohol can do to your body mm -hmm. and damaging it, but how much are they really talking about it in your schooling? Because I know society-wise, we don't talk about it enough, the harmful, we, we glorify it. So what is it like when you're in school learning about this stuff? Well, I went to nursing school 10 years ago, so you know I, I don't know what it would be like today or if it has changed at all today. And I don't know if it's because it's nursing and wasn't medicine that it was a little bit different, but no, it wasn't talked about at all. I mean, we, you know, we would say like, oh, you know, patients should not drink alcohol excessively. Like they didn't say these are the statistics, like this no. is what can happen. Oh no. Yeah. Which I mean, which, to me. and just things to be on alert for with, you know, mental health and, and alcohol and abuse and all, and even with drugs and all of that stuff, it is it is not talked about at all. Because I've had several friends throughout my life who are nurses, and I was always taken back by how much they drank and how much they smoked. Obviously, I was a drinker. I was a smoker at one time. But even though I was doing those things and I knew that they were not probably the best thing for me, I always just had like this thought of like, they know better than I do. Like mm -hmm. they've been educated. They probably know like the really scary things that could happen. You think that would have scared them. They see stuff every day that you think would scare them. And they were some of the heaviest smokers and drinkers that I have ever encountered in my life. Yeah. And, you know, that was something I really struggled with my own drinking and my own sobriety. Because just like you said, I was like, I know what this does. I know to okay. the extreme what this can do. Like, why are you doing this? Why can't you get a grip on this? And then, you know, the little birdie in my head, but you're not that bad. You're not going to get there. That was my life motto, I think, when it came to my drinking habits. You're not that bad. We all have access to facts. And I didn't know that alcohol caused cancer. I mean, maybe they didn't no. know that until recently. You know, I knew drinking was bad for you because I could see that I was ending up in A&E or with bruises or cuts or having arguments. I'm not stupid. But that kind of comes back to this whole how much is too much because saying I'm not bad enough, really what we're saying is I'm not ready to give it up. Even though I know it's causing me harm, I enjoy it too much or I'm not ready to give it up despite that information rather than I know that information. So, of course, I'm sensible. This is a drug. It's addictive. We use it for personal reasons, not because of our career. So knowing things as a professional doesn't matter. I guess it doesn't matter what job you do. Right. We, let's be honest. We all know it's bad for us. We just pretended it wasn't that bad so that we could carry on. That's how I see it anyway. Quite a few people on my Instagram page have commented that they've gone to seek help for their drinking. And the GPs have literally said, look, some alcohol is not bad for you. I wouldn't worry about it. I mean, that's what I think is dangerous. And I do think things have to change because actually we now know that no alcohol is the best route forward. And actually 
why can't GPs and nurses and any healthcare professional just start saying that? And do you think that will happen? I don't <laughs> as long, you know, unfortunately, because I think that as long as it's as praised as it is in, in this society, I mean, it's everywhere, right? Even doctors, you know, the, the think yeah. of the most prestigious surgeon that you can think of, smartest person in the world, you know, they probably drink too. They probably have wine, you know, with their dinner at the end of the night because it's acceptable. It's socially acceptable in our society, everything in moderation please drink responsibly, whatever that means, you know, and some people can, and that's great, but a lot of people can't. And it's a lot more people than we realize. What would you say to people who are listening, who are worried about their drinking? I would just say, you know, just personally, you know, if, if alcohol is at, you know, at a point where it's causing you any sort of problems, it doesn't have to be a rock bottom problem. If it's causing you to wake up in the middle of the night, feeling like crap, if it's causing you to wake up at nine in the morning, feeling horrible about yourself and causing your mental health to you know, be affected, then now's a good time. But if you're also starting to have the physical effects, if you're not noticing that you wake up with shakes or with a headache more consistently, or you're nauseous, you can't eat anything, you know, then your nutrition is affected. You're going to get dehydrated every time you try to stop. So there is a point where it is, you know, best to just seek help. You know, my biggest takeaway is like you said, Kate, we're here, you know, medical professionals are there to help you. They are not there to judge you. It is literally our duty to make you feel better, get you well. So they're not there to judge and they can't do their jobs if you're not completely honest. So if you don't find a a GP that you feel comfortable talking to, then you need to find a different GP, right? You might not vibe with everybody and that is perfectly fine, but you need to find somebody that you do vibe with. And, you know, there are certain medications that they can get you on to help with alcohol. They can prescribe you things that literally take the cravings away, or they can prescribe you things that make you violently ill if you drink on them. So that deters a lot of people. So, you know, just be honest. And then of course, if you are to the point where you do try to quit drinking alcohol and it seems like it's going to be dangerous at home, do not try it at home. You need to go into the emergency room to have a medical detox so that you're safe. And then you can go home and continue your your rehabilitation services there. Drinking alcohol in itself is a reason to go to the GP because I know a lot of people will wait until there's an extra reason and they'll use that to go in mm-hmm. and that's how they'll sneak the drinking in. But you don't need to wait for that, do you? You can go and say, I'm worried about my drinking. Oh, absolutely. And these are the things because I think that's a misconception is that that alone isn't enough. That's not what they're there for. Well, actually it is because I promise you, you won't have realized the effects it's having on so many different parts of your life. If if people are nervous about going to a health professional, and this will be a lot of people, what can they do if they're worried about their drinking, like really worried, they want to do something about it, they're perhaps worried about their mental health, they've lied about how much they're drinking to their family, their friends, They've become fairly reclusive because they want to drink alone and be left alone. There's no way they feel comfortable going to their GP. What can they do? Have you got some advice? Because I think that's a big one. There's a lot of people who will be in that situation, I think, sadly. I think that when when someone gets to that point, you know, I, I just think that it's really important to tell them that they need to seek support somewhere, yeah. you know, because even if it's not your, if you don't start with your GP, that's fine, but you have to be able to rely on somebody getting sober alone. Um, is very hard. And I don't say that from personal experience. I don't know because I have had an amazing support system, but it was hard enough with that. So I cannot imagine how isolating and how lonely it would feel if you didn't have the support and if you just wanted to hole up and isolate. So um, I just think, you know, the first, the first step is just finding support somewhere, be it, you know, I mean, I found the an insane amount of support on Instagram. You know, I just one one night just did a hashtag sober. 
And mm-hmm. that's that's literally where I started. And then I went down a spiral and it has been the best spiral in the world because it led me here. So, you know, no matter what you have to do, um, start reading, doing all the resources that all of the sober, you know, influencers say to do, it really, really does help. But then from, you know, like the mental health aspects and standpoint, I can't really comment on that because, you know, that isn't my, that's not my specialty. And so don't really have a whole lot of experience with that, but just support, support, support. And then eventually, hopefully you'll feel confident enough and you, you will have already gotten it out in the open with people that you'll then start to feel empowered and not feel so um, embarrassed to bring it up with health professionals and start seeking the the medical help that is also associated with it. If, if there are any, it, it was a really interesting and very eye-opening thing that actually sparked my entire sobriety was um, when my little sister last year um, died from liver failure mm. from alcohol. And it was a whole slew of everything we've just talked about. She had had some liver issues in the past from some mental health things. She took so many different medications. This doctor didn't know that she was on this. And so they prescribed this. And then she had sleep issues from alcohol probably and her anxiety and all of these things that just caused her liver to just wreak havoc. And she even told me, she said, I didn't, I had no idea that a couple glasses of wine, you know, a night was, was that bad for me. Now, whether or not she was being honest, you know, about how much that she was drinking, I don't know. But, and then she one, one day just woke up in full fledged liver failure. She had no idea. It got really bad, really fast. And so, you know, all this stuff that I had already known and that I had seen before it was happening right before my own eyes and my 29 year old sister. And I was just completely shocked. You know, she was like, we were all like, how did we get here? How did this happen? Um, and so just to have it from a very personal standpoint, when I had seen it for years and years and years, um, it really brought it home to me that this, you know, this is real. This can happen, um, and it can be, it can be obviously very, very bad and fatal. So it was yeah. a really unfortunate situation. But um, oh, I'm so sorry you went through that. And thank you. Yeah, it, I have heard that about the liver. Like it just comes on. Mm-hmm. Like there's no sign. Like one day you think you're good, the next day you're in full liver failure. And I think yeah. that's a scary thing too that people don't realize. They think. Oh, I'll have time. Like I'll I'll get some symptoms and then I'll get some blood work back that says I need to chill out on the drinking. Like I think people think they have time. And everyone that I've ever heard about that has gone into that, it was the complete opposite. It was like all of a sudden we're here. Which, you know, which kind of shocks me because I would imagine just from what I know about liver in- liver injury and liver failure, what your labs look like and what it, you physically present as, I can't imagine that you would feel fine. Maybe you're just so used to kind of feeling like yeah. crap all the time that that's your fine. I don't know. Um, cause that's what my sister said. She said, I, I feel fine. I was like, there's no way you feel there, there can't be. Um, but yeah, it, it literally Scary. just happened overnight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I unfortunately, I couldn't get sober right away because I was just drowning in grief. I had so much guilt. I had, you know, I was just beside myself. I did not know what to do. Um, but I had already started thinking about getting sober before she got sick. And then after she had, after she had died, I was like, okay, I really need to get a hang of this. And then after I got through my grief drinking, um, I was like, okay, this is, you need to, you need to lock it up. And, and now I just do absolutely everything in her honor. So it's so shocking listening to her talk and the stories that she was sharing of different patients and even the story of her sister and how many people are so unaware of the damage that their drinking's doing. They're so unaware of the amount of alcohol they're consuming is actually bad. They think 
it's fine. Like, I don't know where it needs to start. I think podcasts like ours is a great start. People like us talking about it and bringing it into the light. Because Azure talks about she wasn't educated as a nurse. These things that she was listing, that the health effects, mm-hmm. these are things that she sought out on her own as an intelligent woman. She said they hardly speak about it at all. And, and I know that was 10 years ago and things may be different. And I'm hopeful that things are different. But it's just mind-boggling. How is this stuff so bloody dangerous? And it's sold, you know, in every restaurant, in every corner shop, in every supermarket. It's pick up your bargain, three bottles of wine for 10 quid. It's everywhere. Yet we know it's so dangerous. And we hear the stories of people who are really struggling. And it's like, well, drink responsibly. But we know that's impossible. You know, we are not stupid people. We are interested in our health. We don't want to be fooled. We don't want to be full of shame and regret, but we couldn't manage our drinking. You know, it's not as easy as putting a label on it and say, here's some poison, drink responsibly. It's not enough, is it, Steph? And and there's no education out there. Who's putting up barriers to all these facts? Honestly, a lot of people do say to me, oh, come on, calling it poison. I mean, and I'm like, but it is. It like literally is. Just think about the word intoxicated. It's because you've put a toxin. You can't become intoxicated without putting a toxin in your body. Exactly. When you hear that nurses don't have the fact, Mm -hmm. that's just terrifying, isn't it? So you saying earlier that you thought, well, my friends are doctors and nurses. They drink, so it must be okay. And, and, you know, it just needs to change. We need to talk more about it. And that doesn't mean going around shaming people. But I know if I have the facts about something, they are embedded in my brain. And every time I do that thing or think about eating that thing that's bad for me, I'll remember, oh, that really is, you know, I shouldn't be doing that. But when, when the facts aren't out there for people to see, how are they ever meant to know? And it just like, it makes me think too, you know, we won't eat certain foods or, you know, like I went gluten and dairy free because I have an autoimmune disease and I never told my doctor how much I was drinking. And the sad thing is going gluten and dairy free was never going to help me with the amount of alcohol I was consuming. I still was sick. When I gave up alcohol, I went back to eating gluten and dairy because I was like, okay, this is just too much, right? I'm not going to like restrict my diet and give up alcohol. Like I knew better than that. The funny thing is all my symptoms went away when I gave up alcohol, but I was eating gluten and dairy, the things I was demonizing, things that are not going to kill me. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's where we go because we're so addicted to that substance. Like I'm two years sober. I I have stepped far enough back now to see it. Someone who's listening to this that is still drinking and they're still trying to figure out their way, like maybe they're still trying to figure out a way to still have alcohol because we all did that, like last ditch effort. Maybe I can moderate my drinking. You still need to have an honest, honest conversation with your doctor because if you have health issues, you would be amazed on how many health issues are amplified by alcohol, things you wouldn't even think about. When you're caught up in it, you don't want to say it's alcohol because then that means you might have to give it up. It's like the nutritionist we spoke to, Steph, and she was saying, if you're drinking and then you're taking all these vitamins, that your body will not absorb. You may as well flush them straight down the loo. I didn't know that. Yep, I didn't either. We drink, go, right, Sunday, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to work out for two hours. I'm going to take all my vitamins and then I'm going to balance out the heavy night I had. 
it doesn't work. Nope. It does not work like that. And that's, again, really interesting because you can do all the healthy stuff you want, but if you are drinking too much, you're doing the damage. And people who stop drinking are like, I've got so much more energy. The physical difference in me is so noticeable. It would have taken me three months to get where I got in a month when I was drinking. And it's like, of course, this stuff affects your whole body. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think if people realize that and they really understand what the difference between a glass and a bottle you know, and for, for me, drinking a bottle a night, what was that doing to me? I mean, it's terrifying. And when you look at these videos where they show you what a liver looks like from someone who does drink as much as I was and someone who doesn't, it really makes you quite scared, doesn't it? Those photos are horrific. So I think the point of this episode is really about being honest and not in a scary way or not in a teacher mm-hmm. way or a luxury way about the fact that if you're not honest, you can't assess a situation. You have to take the mask off. You have to look at the actual units. You have to be realistic about the fact you're pouring three shots and not one when you're at home before you're going out. And once you do that and you really understand how much you're drinking, then you get a proper picture of it. Then you can really understand what it's doing to you and understand why it's so important that you have to stop. And even if you just stop for January, you will start to feel different. And that's because that stuff is poison. It literally affects your mind and your body and therefore everything you think and everything you do. Yeah. And I think also like moving forward and going to your next doctor visit, go in there knowing that they're there to help you. They're not there to try to like take things away from you. And I think sometimes that's what we're feeling like. I don't want to tell them how much I'm drinking because then they're going to try to control me. And if it's really hard for you to quit drinking, like Azure even mentioned, there's medications that they can give you to help you with those fears. I mean, I know there's a lot of anxiety around giving up alcohol. I mean, I've been there. Like, you've been there. Like, it is. It's a scary thing. There's so many unknowns. But that's why we talk about this, to show you that it doesn't have to be scary. There are so many people on your side wanting to help you through this. They're not going to make you feel shame because that's Mm. obviously the mindset you have when you're a drinker. You don't realize how shameful you're feeling all the time. You actually get rid of that shame when you release the alcohol. There's just so many benefits to doing that. So having that attitude when you go in there, like, I'm going to be honest because I want the best for myself. I deserve the best. This person is here to help me, not make me feel bad about myself. It could be a whole completely different appointment. It could be really good. And also try not to be scared because actually this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And Mm -hmm. I know you'd agree, Steph, but everything got better. Everything. Every relationship, every conversation, the way I feel, I look in the mirror now and I smile at myself. I don't hate myself. I used to just walk past it, you know, and it's like I enjoy myself. I'm excited about the day I wake up and it's been two years now and I and I don't wake up with that sense of dread. What did I do? Am I still in my clothes? Where's my phone? Have I had an argument? Do I need to apologize? Something? When you take all of the crap that comes with alcohol away from your life, you suddenly got this huge, beautiful open future ahead of you and you can fill it with nice things and it's addictive i would never Mm. go back to drinking i just love it i love feeling content happy excited and life is just so much calmer it is just wonderful thanks for tuning in we're just two women from opposite sides of the pond striving to shed light on the negative impacts of alcohol quick heads up we're not licensed therapists or doctors. If alcohol is seriously affecting your mental or physical health, 
seek professional help. And don't forget to hit that follow button to catch all of our future episodes. If you think our podcast could make a difference to someone you know, share the love. And hey, leaving a five-star review will really help The Sober Effect reach more fantastic people like you. So thank you. 